And welcome everybody to another edition of The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. Hey, this is Dr. Z and glad to be here. And we're actually with The Natural Nurse today. Hey, Ellen, how are you? That is wonderful that we're both here. Isn't it amazing? No matter where you are, you can actually communicate and kind of be in person yeah, this together. Is our, this is one of our visions, meditations many years ago when we were first starting the program, which was 30 years ago. We've been we've been doing radio for over 30 years. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, many of our listeners catch us. You can go to naturalnurse.com, go to media, and then radio shows. And there are actually many hundreds of completely free and live podcasts there. You can also go to the prn.fm um, link, and they have hundreds of our shows there as well. And I believe, you know, we have over 400,000 downloads, Dr. Z. Right. So a lot of people are taking advantage of getting in touch with us and listening to all the amazing information about natural medicine, which has evolved over the years. But I think we have really been on the forefront of sharing really high-level uh, science-based information. Yeah, that was always our our mission is to blend the ancient with the the new, and we I think we've done that in our books, and even our arthritis book talks about a lot of the real nature cure recommendations: fasting, saunas, hydrotherapy, body work, energy work, nutrition. I mean, these are foundational things that I hate to say that even. Even the naturopathic colleges are slipping uh, away from some of these ancient techniques. Uh, so it, it's, a, it's a real art that we have to preserve. It's true. And that's why we love sharing all this information with our many listeners. And of course, you can always get in touch with us by going to naturalnurse.com. Just send a message or drznaturally.com. You can... Um, perhaps send a message there as well. And if you look at calendar, we have a list of all our up and coming classes and workshops that you can attend. And we're so happy to be doing this particular show together. And Dr. Z, um, this is an amazing topic that you brought up because we're going to talk today about Beyond Saw Palmetto, new research and naturopathic re treatments for prostate in men. And it's interesting because I think men take a lot less care of themselves than women, especially in terms of preventative testing and things like that. Do you find that's true? Yeah. I mean, just by the, the sheer number of women in my practice versus men, and certainly also seeing them at the University of Bridgeport Naturopathic Clinic, very few men come in for their, um, you know, examinations and things like that, and particularly the prostate, because that may involve, you know, a, a pretty invasive uh, physical examination known as the digital rectal exam. So guys are kind of squeamish and they kind of don't go to the doctors. They, quote unquote, man up until they get symptoms. And that's usually what brings them in. And that's when we can really help them. And yet, 
as you discuss, and I know you lecture about this topic in many places, at medical schools and at conferences, the fact that, you know, prostate issues are very prevalent. Absolutely. We see it virtually. If we look at graphs, it's going to happen eventually to all men. So we, we better understand why it happens and what we can do about it. And that, that of course, is evolving. Um, the information is constantly evolving as far as the, the what we call pathophysiology, which is kind of like the underlying causes. But, you know, we should probably talk about the prostate. It's kind of an interesting organ. We're talking about what's called benign uh BPH, benign prostate hyperplasia. Some people think it's benign uh, prostatic hypertrophy, which means, and actually you do get a bit of hypertrophy too, but it's actually a hyperplasia, which means that you're act, the cells are actually growing uh, incredibly quickly, which is not cancerous, although it can be a prostate. Uh, it, that's, the, that's the scary thing is that, you know, re, until recently the technology uh, for differentiating the two without a biopsy is was uh, in its infancy. But now we have a test known as like the 4K test, which can look at a guy's prostate through the blood work and look for markers that will tell them whether that enlarged prostate is something to really worry about or is it more of the benign type or versus malignancy. So that's a that's a very important advancement that we should talk to the listeners about that this 4k well let's talk about it now that you know because that might be brand new information for many people is that something that would be covered yeah it's fairly new and a lot of doctors don't even know about it so yeah i guess that makes it new but yeah it's a test that prevents you from getting needless biopsies because you see we used to rely on the psa um you know which is a particular a protein that would leak from the prostate, get into the blood, and then you could pick it up with a blood test. But the P, the PSA became like not the greatest test because it can be high in aggressive cancers or it can be actually low in aggressive camp, uh, cancers. And it could be high in benign cases or even low in benign cases. So it, it really became not a great tool it's just it's like a marker that something needs to be explored. So in that case, it is it is very valuable. It's kind of like a referee in a football game who throws a flag. It's like okay, there's a penalty there. We got to find out whether it's offsides or or other types of penalties, etc. So it at least uh, draws the attention of the physician to then work up. But then they would have to go get these biopsies, which involve sticking 13 needles into the perineum which is the area from the scrotum to the rectum. And that would, of course, grab tissues for the biopsy. That would uh, mean the man would have to be on antibiotics. Many times they would urinate blood for months, and it would, it's just very invasive. So this 4K test came along, and now it's at least something that we can do that uh, differentiates the guys that just have the BPH, the benign one, from the malignant one. So that's no, no test is totally foolproof, but it's a pretty good test. Now, yeah. is that being used that. in mainstream medicine today? Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. So people but can just. Of, but still a lot of doctors don't know about it. Yeah. Right. So can a doctor request that? 
Yes, absolutely. Okay, and it's called what again? Four, like number four and K. Four K. You should ask your doctor, listeners out there, for that. If you're a man with BPH, with where you see the PSA going up, and again, it tells you whether this is something to where you really are going to need a biopsy, or is it something you can do? What's called watchful waiting. Or is it just a benign process, which we're going to be talking about today? Well, those words are actually very important that you said, watchful waiting, because they used to much more aggressively treat every man that had any kind of irregular testing. But what they found is many times, and they can differentiate, let's say, not just benign, but let's say it is cancerous, that you can have a very slow growing cancer and most men will outlive the cancer. So that whole aggressive um, surgical intervention really did not improve quality of life. Exactly. And the, 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 uh, flip side of that is if a guy in his 50s is having some problems, that's kind of the population we're worried about because they probably have a longer life expectancy than a man in, the, in his 80s, right? And this could be something that we need to really watch out for. So that's where the 4K score is a big champion of finding helping these guys. Right. And, and now with these additional tests, they can find out. So just how aggressive is it? Does it really require surgery or can it be what you brought up, which is really used as a medical term, watch and wait? Yeah. Now, the thing about watchful waiting is a, a little strange, too, because holistic people don't just wait around. <laughs> Maybe in, in allopathic medicine and for more mechanistic medicine, you wait till it's broke and then you fix it. You know, the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But we take uh, measures for prevention to First of all, properly diagnose the underlying causes of the prostate problem. And then, which has evolved over time, so we should talk about that at some point. And then we can then make lifestyle and other recommendations uh, to really help reverse this process. And that's my, my research is what to do for that. And uh, we've been very, very successful at the naturopathic college and of course my practice and things like that dr camai yeah yes that's true and that's what's so wonderful you don't have to just wait just watch and wait um you can while you're watching and waiting and i i say the same thing about completely different topic which is otitis media or ear infections in children that the pediatric journals now tell doctors do not treat with antibiotics just watch and wait and if they get much worse in a week, then they start the antibiotics. I think that is such a wrong approach. And I think it's much better to do the, all the holistic interventions, which really get rid of it rather than the antibiotics. And if it does not, then you could decide to use the antibiotics. So it's the same basic thing, which I really think we're, we're using the term naturopathic medicine um, holistic medicine, things like that. I really think it should. It is just good medicine. It uh, is just I, what should be done yeah. for everyone. Michael Murray talked about that. It's, I love that it, when, he, when we had him on the show, and we do have that podcast with folks that want to listen to that, he called it it's just good medicine. It's good medicine to, to do things to prevent disease, to do things to build up, to get to the underlying cause. Don't just treat symptoms, which is exactly... 
what the allopathic or conventional treatment is. Make the guy pee. Make sure he's not getting up at night to pee, which is important, you know, because then you get sleep and things like that. So, but but don't stop there. See, that's the problem, Dr. Kama. When you just stop there by masking symptoms, you're not really doing yourself any favors, you know. And boy, all these um, natural interventions that you've been talking about really have so much science behind them. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the the um, the new etiologies or reasons for um, developing BPH is so multifactorial, and that's with so many of our uh, Ill- chronic illnesses, whether it's rheumatoid arthritis, which we've written books on, or autoimmune disease, there's always a lot going on. And just just blocking the inflammatory cytokine or whatever is, is not really, I mean, it, it, it can help people with their pain and maybe slow down the progression of the disease, but you don't stop there. So when we look at the prostate, we, we know that medicine has already figured out that there's hormonal shifts that are a big part of this illness. Um, that um, as a man gets older, the testosterone goes down, the estrogen goes up. And the new research is that the BPH is due to estrogens and not as much testosterone. In oh, wait a minute. Case, I'm not yeah. going to let you slide through that because okay. a lot of our listeners um, who might be sort of listening a little bit in the background, but they might have been surprised to hear you bring up the hormonal term estrogen when our topic for today is men's health. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, men have estrogen too. We have all the hormones that are the same in men and women. It's just different amounts. And so um, the old approach was to use testosterone blocking drugs because the old theory was that men are producing like a very potent type of testosterone, which is called DHT, dihydrotestosterone. And that causes, you know, because it's a powerful testosterone, causes the cells to reproduce. And that's true in some cases. If you're, if you're a guy with, with no hair, because unfortunately DHT causes male pattern baldness, or is at least one of the factors involved, and you have an enlarged prostate, that, that could be the underlying etiology or cause. But pot, there's a whole bunch of men that fall into the high estrogen uh, part. And this would be men that are losing muscle they may have developed gynecomastia or what they call kind of colloquial man boobs <laughs> and things like that. Those, those men have to be looked at. Also prolactin is another impro- important hormone that both men and women make. And, and they found that. So are these being yeah. tested by conventional, you know, um, urologists? Not often, believe me. I, I see them come in with very cursory lab work, you know, CBC, UA, maybe a few things, uh, but not not the very advanced. And, and it's not like we're doing this in holistic labs. We're doing this at, you know, regular old, you know, LabCorp, Quest, all these different labs. If you ask for these tests, you can get them done. So that's amazing that most doctors, what they just don't even know about it because it doesn't relate necessarily to just taking more pharmaceuticals. 
So sometimes when I run an estrogen, I get this red flag that comes up on my um, thing saying, are you sure? Have you, uh, are you sure that you have the right sex for this particular test? As if men don't make estrogen. So I don't, I mainstream medicine hasn't caught up with this idea. So, you know, so that's one of the big things. The other thing, of course, more moves into like holistic thinking of uh, the prostate. And this is that toxic colon organisms translocate into the uh, prostate from the in, intestine. So this is, this is something that, you know, we have, you and I have written about quite a bit in our arthritis book about translocation of pathogens from the gut into the joints. And it's well-documented in the literature, although these studies exist, it's still not fairly mainstream to understand that these gut organisms can move into different organs of the body. Well, the prostate is one of them that actually they did studies. They used to think that um, BPH was very different from what's called just prostatitis. See, prostatitis is defined as some type of a microorganism infection of the prostate, whereas BPH, the benign prostatic um, hyperplasia, was considered non-bacterial, non-viral, non-fungal, that there were no microbes. But recent research has shown that there are microbes involved, and they're what they call, they're called stealth microbes. So maybe you could talk about stealth microbes better than mine. That, that's your field. Well, stealth microbes are, you know, this is no surprise. But what one of the things they do is microorganisms change forms. And this is what they regularly do. However, that does not go along with the drug model of one drug, one bug theory. But I was quite amazed to read an article just recently in terms of research that's currently going on about COVID, in which they did see that the microorganisms form changed over time. And this particular, it was on a radio show actually that I was listening to on NPR. And the researcher found that when they used um, some vaccinations and even some antiviral interventions that it pushed the um, form of the virus one way or another, like it actually can change because they were looking into some of those factors that actually will increase the virulence of the virus through these stealth transmutations. So they were talking about it as if it's a new concept. Yet in holistic medicine, we have always recognized that the form that these microorganisms can take, they're stealth because you can't necessarily, you know, see them. And also because they actually literally change form depending on what you're using to go after them. Because some of the forms can turn into a, like encapsulate so they can not be affected by one antibiotic or another. And, and this concept, you know, I couldn't believe she was a top researcher and talking about it as if it's a new discovery. Right. Well, that's very common in medicine. You know, things that are, have been used for a long time that are just coming out, um, you know, sort of new, new news. But it's not, of course, to holistic thinking folks. But yes, the, the, um, the prostate, can, the bacteria can either wall themselves off and then it's very difficult for antibiotics to 
get in there. Or, like I said, the organisms living in the bowels, because there's a very, there's not too many tissue uh, levels between the bowels and the prostate. And they say that a guy's prostate, if he has leaky prostate, is just like leaky gut. So this has been proven now with studies where they put things in the colon and then they found them in the prostate. I mean, you know, how could it get there? And, and you know, if it's more radioactive and they're looking for these types of um, movement of the molecules through there. So, so then that begs the question, what are we doing about a guy's gut flora or what is conventional medicine doing about a guy's gut flora when he has BPH, nothing. Okay, well, let's let's define that term, Dr. Z, because here we are talking about men's health, and now you're bringing in a term called gut, and that's just like intestines, G-U-T, flora. What is gut flora, and why should we care in terms of men, men's health and prostate well, health? Well, yeah, well, now now we know that the what they call the microbiome or microbiota, which is the, the blend of microbes living in your intestines is a whole organ of itself and influences the endocrine system, neurological system, the brain, the joints. Of course, you and I have been talking about how even in ancient Ayurvedic medicine, they looked at the connection between the gut and the joints and have written best-selling books on arthritis on the, the gut-joint connection way before the term leaky gut was even invented. So yeah, understanding the flora, the delicate balance of bacteria that lives in your intestine and other places of your body, of course, too, uh, plays a huge role in your health. And, and there's a whole explosion of, of amazing information. I can't even keep up with reading about the, the role of the gut flora, but this is in mainstream medicine. If you go to PubMed, the National Library of Medicine, and you put up you put in microbiome and any disease. I guarantee there's an article linking the microbiome to, to, to the different pathology, Dr. Kamlein. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, the endocrine system is so complex where there's always a feedback mechanism. So if you're having, you know, high testosterone levels and then it might convert to DHT, which you talked about a little bit, which is a more aggressive kind of testosterone that can be linked to some of these male health issues. So the next the next part of working up a gentleman is to look for a heavy metals. Now this is something again that mainstream medicine really doesn't look at unless you go like for instance I've actually had great conversations with the guys at Yale at their department of environmental medicine but these are like high level md phd people that have looked and researched the effects of metals on patients and i'm talking about toxic metals like cadmium mercury aluminum arsenic copper even because copper can be both of good and bad depending upon the amounts uh aluminum so, and, and they're like, oh yeah, we know that metals make a big difference. Why, then why aren't metals checked as a regular standard of care in everybody? I learned that from, of course, the great Dr. Porcello to check everybody's heavy metals. And I've done that religiously for the last 30 years of practicing that you find so that, that the metals accumulate in the body and of course cause disease because they compete with your healthy 
minerals. And of course, the big buzzword with the prostate is zinc. You know, many men, when they hear the prostate, hear they have prostate problems, they automatically take zinc, which for the most part is a good idea. Okay, so let's talk about the fact that we can also, or can we also, uh, measure nutrient levels such as zinc preventatively. Yeah, you could run um, uh, red blood cell levels of zinc, which looks at the amount of zinc inside the cells. You can look at the hair, particularly if the hair is not adulterated. That also gives you some type of measurement. It turns out minerals, they live in different compartments, almost like different rooms of your house. So you have some minerals that live in the living room, some minerals that live in the bathroom, in the den, and that's kind of where they accumulate. And so your body's kind of like a house and you need different tissues, different measurements to get a holistic view of the minerals in your body. So you can run blood and you can run the hair or even nails and, and various tissue types to then assay what the metals are like in your body. And nine times out of 10, you find that there's an imbalance there that has to be fixed. Could be, I've seen with the prostate, low selenium, which is a very important antioxidant, anti-cancer, um, helps you met body manufacture glutathione, which is the body's probably most important antioxidant. Of course, um, you know, some of the other metals will throw like copper and cadmium and aluminum always compete with zinc. And by that, I mean that it's like a seesaw where you want to, you know, how like if a big, if a big fat kid sits on one side, of the, I shouldn't say that, but sits on one side of the heroically proportion, that's nicer. Sits oh. on one side of the, uh, <laughs> Politically correct. And then, you know, you, you're out of balance. You want to be balanced. And that's, a, that's kind of what we're looking for in naturopathic medicine to balance the minerals. So that might mean that we have to remove the copper, the cadmium, and aluminum out of the body, which, you know, is a whole other show on. Right, detoxification. But still, even that you're looking at this, it's so much, so much more complex than what most people are getting, even at the urologist, since we're talking about men's health. And we're going to take a little break right here, Dr. Zampro, so people can listen to one of our wonderful natural medicine chest recordings, which are just little segments that go more deeply into some herb or other, not sure which one they're going to pick today. And when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion about men's health, about prostate health, and we're going to talk about saw palmetto, why it is useful, and then definitely delve into some of the many other herbs that you would suggest and lifestyle that you would suggest for keeping the prostate healthy, best thing to do in the first place, or if you already get a diagnosis that things are not perfect. So we will be right back with more right here on The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. You can always comment or visit naturalnurse.com for more information. And we'll be right back with more right here on Progressive Radio Network. On this edition of the Natural Medicine Chest, we'll discuss the nutrient known as taurine. Amino acids are chemical constituents that form the building blocks of protein in the body. The official definition of an amino acid is a compound which contains an amino group and a carboxylic acid. 
Taurine contains a sulfonic group instead, so is not a true amino acid, although it is often referred to as one. The intracellular concentration of taurine is 10 times that of any normal free amino acid. Taurine was discovered in 1827, but the significance of taurine in nutrition was not realized until 1975 when the journal Science published a study showing that taurine-deficient cats suffered from retinal degeneration. In 1986, the Annual Review of Biochemistry reported that the amount of taurine present in mammalian milk depends on the species. Natural human mother's milk is rich in taurine, but cow's milk, except for the early milk known as colostrum, is taurine deficient. Pediatrics Journal in 1983 printed a study which outlined several of the biologically significant functions of taurine, and an effort was then made to fortify infant formula by adding taurine. Some species of animals, such as cats, cannot synthesize taurine within their bodies, and so must receive it through their diets. Humans have a very limited ability to synthesize taurine, so adequate intake through diet and supplementation is important. The principal source of dietary taurine is meat of various types and shellfish. Even people ingesting sufficiently high levels of taurine may develop a deficiency due to the overgrowth of certain anaerobic intestinal microorganisms which consume taurine. Certain prescription drugs are known inhibitors of taurine uptake. The Journal of Neurochemistry published a study in 1975 which showed that taurine concentrations are extremely high in the retina. In fact, the retina contains two binding proteins specific for taurine. Research has yet to determine exactly how taurine functions in the eye, but deficiency of taurine has been found to lead to the degeneration of photoreceptor cells. Continued studies on taurine have linked its presence to several biological functions, besides being a protector of the delicate tissues of the eye. Taurine helps to neutralize oxidizing agents caused by ionizing radiation. Taurine is present in high concentrations in the normal heart. It stimulates white blood cell motility and protects cell membranes from free radical damage. Taurine has proven useful in epileptics to reduce or control seizures. It helps modulate the transport of substances such as sodium, potassium, magnesium, copper, and iron across cell membranes. Additional research supports taurine's role in preventing gallstones. So, as you can see, the nutrient taurine may be an important addition to your natural medicine chest. So that was an interesting discussion about taurine, all the science behind it. Oh, yeah. Why it should be really incorporated in mainstream medicine. That is my goal right now, to take so much of what we know and make these really much more evidence-based natural interventions. Well, additional testing to look at nutrient levels, like you described before. Consider, uh, instead of just watching and waiting, using the naturopathic profiles to actually intervene, which are so cost effective, the one thing they don't do is increase pharmaceutical sales. Right. So the main pharmaceuticals for BPH is, uh, you know, drugs that open up the open up the ure urethra by relaxing the muscles. Okay, that's valuable uh, because there is a spasmodic part of BPH that 
kind of, uh, so there could be spasm or there could be just growth of the tissue, which again, occludes the urine. I mean, that's why BPH is so bad. You, it's, you know, you get up to pee a lot, but what could possibly happen is you don't thoroughly void your urine and you leave a reservoir of urine inside your body, which can then form stones, form uh, concretions, and of course, lead to infection. And that's kind of what they always worry about. And also lack of sleep from the men I know. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah. every minute they're like waking up. Uh, right. My dad, God bless him, because he had that condition. But he, luckily, I knew a fantastic urologist, and I'm going to give his name. You might even know him, Dr. Z. His name is Dr. Aaron Katz. Yeah. And he's written many books on natural um, prostate health as well, but he happens to also be um, the head at NYU Langone Health University right. Hospital right. at Winthrop Urology, and that's, you know, major mainstream. So to me, it's so exciting that he, he is doing what I'm talking about. He uses, and in his book, he writes about a lot of information that you are sharing with us as a naturopathic physician, Dr. Z. So when I took my dad to him, he did a lot of these additional tests like you talk about, and they're covered by health insurance. It's just that he is knowledgeable and does that, Dr. Aaron Katz, and he has a whole department of people under him. And then he said to my dad, look, you do have some prostate cancer, you're 90 years old. You'll probably outlive it, so we will use, and he used a combination of natural therapeutics and pharmaceuticals mm -hmm. um, that made my dad more comfortable, made him able to avoid, you know, go to pee more easily, right, right. And, and that allowed him to sleep better at night. And that's a huge With, thing for your immune system right. and quality of life. But without going through a biopsy, which is yeah. no easy thing, and without getting prostate surgery, which they used to do right away. Right. And I think he used something, uh, it was some kind of thing that did make you urinate more easily that really helped him, that had very few side effects. Yeah, there are some drugs that, again, they block the, what they call the alpha receptors in our muscles, which make our muscles very tight um, and it block, relaxes that. But research shows that kava kava can do the same thing. And right. So your protocol might include a wider array of herbal interventions first. Exactly. Kava kava has been shown. I mean, it was used, you know, hundreds of years ago by the eclectics and, you know, people use it for relaxation and helping with the mind-body connection there, relaxing muscles. But it turns out that there's a lot of muscle in the prostate. It's a very muscular uh, organ. So pain, you know, in the vas deferens, urethra, epididymis, the prostate, all can be alleviated by doing an evidence-based dose of the kava. So you want to look for a good quality kava that has the kava lactones. And you wanna of course try it on the weekend when you're not working and driving because it does have a sedative effect. Well, this is an important thing. I, anytime anyone's going to use kava, and I always tell them the first time you use it, you wanna use it in the evening at home when you don't have to go to work 
and you don't have to drive because yeah. it definitely has different kinds of reactions on different people. What I'm thinking about with the Kava Dr. Z, I'll remind you of this incident. We were um, meeting up in our cars because we were going to do a radio show again and this might have been 30 years ago and we both arrived around the same time and then you had some kava so we decided oh let's take it and i got so relaxed i said uh -huh, and i was giggling and just basically i wanted to stay in the car and free and not do the radio show and for <laughs> you 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 do all your work and you could teach a whole class and, and kava um maybe has a slight relaxing effect on you, but not to where you can't drive and you can't function. Yeah, I'm also twice the size of you too. <laughs> That's true. We don't call you we don't call you huge for nothing. Exactly. <laughs> but all those reasons, it's it's one of those things that can be helpful, but if you're going to try it for the first time. And then it could be wonderful in the evening because it also helps someone sleep. Now salt palmetto is another one and you know our title of the thing is Beyond Salt Palmetto. And that's because this is well established as something that helps the prostate in herbal circles, that's for sure. And actually evidence-based textbooks of medicine and even allopathic places where they teach evidence-based kind of uh, medicine. So, but interestingly enough, the theory of how saw palmetto works has changed over the years. When I was in school many years ago at Bastyr University out in Seattle, we were taught that saw palmetto really changes the hormonal profile of the patient by blocking those hormones that we talked about that make the very strong testosterone. But now they found out, of course, through more modern studies in the last 30 something years, that it really acts as an anti-inflammatory of the body and it does reduce edema and the spasms like we talked about. So Kerry Bone, who wrote one of the greatest herbal books that I've ever read, The Principles and Practice of Phytotherapy, which I use to teach botanical medicine at the university level, you know, he, they talked about that and looked at the more modern use, use and mechanisms of action of salt palmetto. I still think it's very valuable and it, it's very abundant in Florida, as, as you know, you're from Florida. Uh, oh, yeah. I pick it myself. Yeah. Because it's what it is, is it's really a berry, just like we say, saw so palmetto berry. Right. And it's a berry on a palm tree. And it's interesting that the native people in Florida, where it grows wild, figured it was the right time to pick the saw palmetto when all the animals developed a very beautiful, shiny coat. And that is because it had to do with these really excellent fatty acids that are contained, which also soften the prostate, right. very interestingly enough. And um, that's the fatty acid sterols were really, really healthy for the animals and also are for humans. So one thing I know is that there, there is an effect of saw palmetto which in conventional medicine, they say not to take it for, I don't really understand it, but they say it brings down that PSA, but it might, you might miss that you have an elevated PSA because the saw palmetto brings it down. Yeah, and so again, in the old days when PSA was the only way that we detected cancers, they said it could mask a cancer, but now there's many other ways that we detect problems and so it's a little less of an issue 
today, but it's a very good point, you know. So right, but it my favorite seem one, much. my favorite one to use for prostate. Well, I have two favorites: the root of the stinging nettle and thuya, which I know is one of our favorite things that we do when we make smudge sticks at our fun at our herbal fun shops workshops. So let's talk about the root of the of the urtica or the stinging nettle. So this is a plant that you certainly want to respect when you're handling it because it will sting you and inject your body with uh, formic acid and histamine, which is kind of what they, I guess those fire ants down in Florida bite you and do the same thing. So it's like getting a, attacked by fire ants. But if you wear gloves and you're careful, you can harvest the stinging nettle. But you're really interested in getting the roots for men's health because that seems to really been proven to modulate the movement to the bad testosterone but it also stops you from making the the bad estrogens in men so it has a many many what they call hits on the endocrine pathways to block these or at least modulate these pathways so you're Estrogen goes down for a guy, and that's good. But then also that very aggressive testosterone goes down, and that's also good for the prostate. So I, lo I love stinging metal. That's one of my favorites. Well, seems. one thing to be careful of, however, though, if you do want to use it for prostate health is that it is widely sold, but it's a different part of the plant because the nettle leaf, you know, where it has the stingers up there is different than the nettle root. And the actual studies that have been done on prostate um, are looking at the nettle root. So if you're going to purchase it, you definitely want to differentiate it because if you just go there and look at nettle, um, that's not the one you're looking for for this particular use, although it can be good for other things. Right, exactly. So the, uh, the eclectics, who were the doctors at the turn of the century that really popularized herbal medicine, they had their favorites um, to use for prostate. So they like to use something called colonsonia, which they, is called pile wart. And it's very common. You have to really know what you're looking for out in the woods, but we actually identified it. I went on a nice mushroom walk. I'll have to tell you about this weekend, Dr. Kama with some of my students, that was great. But we found out that, you know, Colin, so we found Collinsonia and that reduces prostatic congestion. And sometimes Collinsonia is also used for congested sinuses. And there's a connection in Chinese medicine, I don't quite understand it, but between the, the congestion of the sinuses and congestion of the prostate, I guess it's maybe allergies or um, having, you know, swollen uh, mucous membranes that if there's swelling up in the sinuses, there could also be swelling in the prostate. It's kind of interesting. Um, it's probably you, made from that same tissue, you know, with the ectoderm, mesoderm. We also often find that with the various kinds of linings. Like embryologically speaking. Yeah, exactly. But Thuya is one of my favorites. Thuya, oh, definitely. Yeah. But, you know, we're going to take a little break. 
And then we come back because there's a lot to say about Thuja or Thuja or how we pronounce it. I mean, why is it called, you know, Tree of Life and all kinds of interesting things. And it's so widely available. I mean, everyone probably already has it in their yard or in walking distance to their house throughout the Northeast. And so we definitely will take a look at Thuja Orientalis as well when we get back. And we're here discussing men's health. Myself, Ellen Kamai, the natural nurse at naturalnurse.com, and Dr. Eugene Zamperone. We have been compadres for many decades, and we also have written many books, such as Arthritis, the Alternative Medicine Definitive Guide, and The Natural Medicine Chest, and others. You can find all of them at naturalnurse.com books. So we're going to take a little break um, for our sponsor, wonderful Progressive Radio Network, Gary Knowles Network. We're so happy to have our show here. And we have other shows and other stations as well. And we will be right back with more right here on The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. And we're back with more of The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. I'm Dr. Z, and we're um, talking about prostate issues, particularly BPH in men. And I'm here with The Natural Nurse, my co-host and co-producer and Compadre for many years. Welcome back. Hey, Dr. Z, how you doing? So we were going to talk about Thuja. Thuja, anti-inflammatory, so much. How would you describe this? Um, It's really a tree. So people can go out and and just find it. Where could they look for it? Well, Thuja has been, is usually planted. They call it the Arbor Vitae tree. um, Of life. Cedar. So it's often used as a hedgerow in people's houses or gardens in suburbia. So very, very common. It has this flat kind of pleats. And it's, of course, an evergreen tree. So it's, you know, kind of cousin to the pine trees, etc. Yeah, people often, when you first look at it, they go, oh, that's a pine tree. But when you point out it's not those pointy needles, it's right. like a flat leaf. So, of course, nowadays, anyone can just Google it. So it's Thuja, T-H-U-J-A. Very common. You probably have one. One of the one of the interesting things that I found fascinating in, in researching the program is that Thuya has antispasmodic compounds, just like those found in another plant that's often known for spasm, valerian. So we use valerian for like muscle spasms, maybe sometimes to help people sleep or whatever, but. Thuya has a significant amount of these valerianic acids, so it means that it will relax the prostate just like the drug Flomax relaxes the prostate and allows you to pee. So that's a very interesting way, recent discovery. They kind of, the eclectic doctors knew it did that, but they just didn't know uh, why. Actually, the eclectic doctors said it was for you know, old men, this is what they say, is dribbling urine in older men with prostatic enlargement because, you know, unfortunately, BPH is also embarrassing too when you walk out of the men's room with a big urine stain in the front of your pants. So, you know, it's important to get a hold of this uh, illness. The other thing about Thuya, Dr. Kamai, that they discovered is it's an evidence-based, powerful, anti-inflammatory, and recent research shows exactly where in the cellular pathways it actually 
stops, and it also stops the proliferation of cells. So that's why thuya was always was used for cancer in um, holistic medicine and eclectic medicine by signaling to the cells to stop reproducing so much. And remember, even though this is a benign growth of the cells in the BPH, it's still caught, the cells are still growing out of the ordinary. And so Thuya sends a signal to the cells to stop proliferating. And that's just, I love, I love when science catches up with nature, you know. Wow, isn't that amazing? Because that sounded like the outline of what you were saying was an issue with prostate health, and it addresses so many of those things. If someone was able to find a thuja tree, which I know you can, just Google it and you'll go, oh my God, that's right in my front yard. Not those of you in Florida, but those of you in the Northeast. doesn't grow much in Florida, Dr. Z, although it does in Northern Florida. To well, some funny, extent. Florida, yeah, Northern Florida has them, and they, they have something similar, a type of cypress that has similar, um, I think they run the coop. Compressier family, so similar chemistry, but not exactly. You're right. So, how once someone did find a thuja tree, um, do you have to buy it like in a pill, or what could you do with that plant? We have all these wonderful plant identification and medicine making workshops where we take people out in the field, gather plants right there in the woods or in your yard or wherever, and make them into medicine. So, is that something that could be done with the thuja? I think so. I think it's it's relatively safe as a as a tincture, um, where you know you would maybe take your course or our course, learn how to make tinctures, and then they would they would give five drops every four hours. It, it, it's because it has some oils in it and and a little bit of uh, thuyon. It's not recommended to take large oodles and oodles of this particular plant. You want to take it in small drop doses, two to five drops every four hours for um, prostatic hyperplasia. Or Now you're talking about it as a tincture, which would be made with an alcohol as the menstruum, the menstruum being the agent that pulls it out of solution. What about as an infusion or what's commonly might be referred to as water tea? I think that would be perfect because it would, it would, um, it may not extract all the important ingredients in the food, but you'd get some, and you know it would be mild, milder for listeners out there that aren't professionals. So yeah, that that could work. Boy, another one that I know you've um, discussed, which is, there's just so many. That's the whole thing. There is so uh, much that you can do. What about lifestyle changes? Well, yeah. Dr. Mitchell, my uh, illustrious uh, professor who passed away, founder of Bastyr University with Dr. Pizzorno, used to say, BPH is arthritis of your prostate. And we would always look at him like, what is he talking about? But what he was saying is that there's a lot of inflammation involved. And as we know now, inflammation is involved in cancer and arthritis and diabetes and dementia. I mean, inflammation is one of these core things that weaves all these different illnesses together. So if you can live an anti-inflammatory lifestyle, which means mostly a plant-based diet, if you do eat meat, make sure it's grass-fed with good oils in it. Um, don't eat lots of spicy 
foods that are like bad foods, like, you know, you can still have your cayenne and ginger and your whole spices, but I mean, kind of garbagey spices like that. Uh, don't have foods that are uh, cooked in, uh, you know, oils that create inflammation in the body, like, you know, some of these oils that tropical oils that they use, like I said, more plant-based uh, foods. So that's kind of what I mean by a anti-inflammatory diet. And it's different for everyone. I do believe in individualizing the diet based on people's blood type, their individual food allergies, their Ayurvedic type, whether they're vata, pitta, or kapha. So we try to individualize somewhat the medicine and the diet, but basically trying to reduce inflammation in the body will go a long way for so many things, including the prostate. Yes, that is so true. So, you know, that's one of the wonderful things about any kind of discussion of anti-inflammatory, Dr. Z, because not only prostate, like you even said, including the prostate, when we bring down inflammation, we're benefiting most aspects of health and wellness. Yeah, I forgot to mention heart. <laughs> Your heart health, too, is very important. So inflammation is, so that's why when, so that's why I have treated BPH, almost like I treat rheumatoid arthritis. Plus, some of the more modern studies show that there's an autoimmune component to BPH. And this is really new cutting edge stuff that um, the, you can actually turn against the tissue and start attacking the prostate, just like in arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis, you attack the joints. In this case, you're attacking the prostate. So our Thinking of BPH has really uh, evolved over the time, and we're sort of using things like turmeric and boswellia and white willow bark and all these anti-inflammatories for that. Then we're using um, like T-cell balance, a product that I um, looked at, which has rosmarinic acid, a very powerful flavonoid, mushrooms, Dr. Kamai, which have this balancing effect on the immune system, whether it's high, like you're attacking your body or low, like you're susceptible to cancer. A lot of these mushrooms tend to balance the uh, playing field here with our immune system. So mushrooms are something that we put um, guys on. We use different ones, you know, depending upon the case, but I like to use Ganoderma or Rishi or Lingxi, I think they call it too. And I like to use um, cordyceps. And another one that we learn about on our Chinatown trips, which is called Fu Ling, Fu Shen, or Poria. These are well known and used for thousands of years in China to remove what they, the Chinese call dampness in the lower area. Well, dampness was like accumulation of lots of fluid in the tissue. Hey, that's inflammation. So although the Chinese called it dampness, it's basically reducing inflammation. So we're, we're kind of going from the ancient language to more modern language. Well, Dr. Z, that was great. That's so much information. And just so people know, um, whether you are a man or you know a man <laughs> or you love a man, uh, men need to pay more attention to their health. That's one takeaway. Um, getting tested for prostate issues is a great idea. Expand the tests that are done. Don't accept just that PSA. Get uh, a full nutrient 
deficiency profile. I would say everyone should have one every two years. And, you know, work with a doctor, like I just mentioned, Dr. Alan Katz. Another one is Dr. Eugene Zamperin. You're doing phone consults now as well, Dr. Z, right? Absolutely. Right. Who are knowledgeable about this. And um, until next time, I guess it's time to say goodbye, Dr. Z. Right up to the 10, 10, 15 minutes. So we are so happy you joined us today. Find us at naturalnurse.com or drznaturally.com. And until next time, we hope that you stay healthy. Stay healthy.